Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So in this episode, I want to talk about how to buy a vehicle new or used. So many people dread the experience of walking into a car dealership and trying to negotiate what you're going to pay. I'm going to tell you what steps you need to take to have a better experience and avoid ripoffs. Later, you may be ripping yourself off if you have an FSA, a flexible spending account at work, that you don't pay attention to. I'm going to tell you a shocking stat and how to make yourself not part of that stat later. Okay, this is a stat that surprises me not at all. 80% of people who deal with a car dealer are unhappy with the experience. Eight, zero percent. That's a shocking number. Because when you go to buy a vehicle, new to you, used one, or a, a brand new vehicle, that's, for most people, the second largest purchase we make in our lives. And to think that roughly 80% of people according to a report in Automotive News, which is written to the dealerships, by the way, and other people in the automotive business, that, I mean, how happy are you to pick up a publication or read it online and see that eight out of 10 of your customers hate you, hate the experience? That is a broken business model based on something known historically in the industry as the grind. And that's the clean term. There is a graphically ugly term that some people in the car business use. And it's unbelievable the mentality of some dealers that the idea is to see and grind is grind you down. So the idea is you go to a dealer, you haven't done your homework up front. That's the big problem. Go to a dealer. They put you in the grind. And what the grind is, is they try to keep you there hours. They try to make sure you're hungry and exhaust you emotionally and physically to the point that you're not thinking clearly and you sign the paperwork they put in front of you that's bad, ugly. Any industry that has a problem with transparency has a problem with trust with customers. The funny thing What shocked me about this automotive news story is that my feeling had been that car buying was much cleaner than it used to be and that people were not having the problems that dealers they were having before. But what I realized is it's all about preparation. If you as a consumer have done the work up front, And I've got step-by-step at Clark.com what that actually means when you're buying a new car or used car. 
But the core of it, the key, is information is power. The more you know about the model you're looking at buying, the price of that model and what's a fair price in the marketplace, the more power you have in the process. And with new vehicles, something very important is you never, 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 not ever go to a dealer before that deal is already made. You want to play on the home field, not the away field. You know, in the NBA, the home team wins an overwhelming percent of the time. And you've got 12 professionals on each side of that court, and the home team wins most of the time. Think about this. You go to a car dealer to negotiate a deal on a newer used vehicle. This is what they do every day for a living. You don't. How often do you ever buy a vehicle? They have superior knowledge. What levels that field is doing your work from home or your office or wherever, that you do it in your field in your court, and the negotiating is done over email, or you can use buying services, but the most important thing is you have so much information at your fingertips online, and you use that to your advantage. If you're looking for a used vehicle, the used vehicle prices, the electronic pricing guides that I talk about on Clark.com, and I used to talk about when I talk about this on the podcast, we're a really good source for you to have a good sense of fair market value. And right now, that's not true because used vehicle prices over the last three years have moved quicker than the databases are able to give you accurate information. So it requires more work on your part, shopping around, comparison shopping at various dealers that have them for sale in your area or even extended area. You have to do that shopping because without doing that shopping, you're negotiating with yourself. If you go to a dealer and you see a vehicle on a lot, used vehicle lot that you like, and you're negotiating with them, they established a false retail price and you're negotiating around that. When you do the work from your home and you're shopping vehicles, you want to make sure that the dealership is giving you access to a free vehicle title history from Carfax or whatever service they use. You can see that because then you have disclosure if it's been in a major accident, things like that. And with any used vehicle you buy, absolutely critical. I don't care if it's a certified blah, 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 or anything like that. You want to have as a condition of purchase that you have it inspected by a mechanic of your choosing. Because with used vehicles, you look at the sticker on the car or the truck or whatever, On that sticker, the white sticker with the black type, it will say you cannot rely on any assurances you're given verbally. They mean nothing, basically. A dealer is, under the law, allowed to lie to you about the history of a used vehicle and the condition of that used vehicle. So you need to know this because it's your money. And you buy that vehicle, the second you buy a used vehicle, it is yours. You are stuck with it unless you buy it at one of the consumer-friendly dealers, they give you a three, five, or seven-day period, or in the extreme thing CarMax has been doing in some markets, 30 days to return a vehicle for a full refund. I mean, 
buying at a dealer, buying a used vehicle where you're buying a history you don't know, buying one where you have no right to return it for a refund for a period of time, not return for a credit to buy something else from that dealer that misled you in the first place. No, you only want to buy a used vehicle from a place that gives you a right to return for a refund for a period of time and use that time to make sure that vehicle is A-OK for you and your driving circumstances. You're buying new. New vehicles had enormous distortions in 2021 and through much of 22. The new vehicle markets are restoring brand by brand, dealer by dealer. You drive by, you see actual vehicles sitting on a lot of dealer lots now where they weren't forever. We're getting back to the traditional way of shopping for a new vehicle. But because the inventories are not back to where they were before, very important thing, you widen your geographical search for a new vehicle. New vehicle, you don't have to worry about all the stuff I talk about with used vehicles with the history you don't know. New model of the same make, same submodel of it, color, the options you want and all that. You can shop very widely because you can buy a very cheap one-way ticket pretty much anywhere in the United States as far as you're willing to go. I find most people are willing to go up to 1,000 miles to get a car and drive it back or truck or whatever. And so with new vehicles, the wider you shop the market and inventories are available online for different brands and different dealers, you make the deal online, the better off you're going to be. And remember, with financing, new or used. I talk a lot about financing on Clark.com. You arrange your financing in advance with a credit union. If you're not a member of a credit union before you shop for a vehicle, go join one and get pre-approved for a loan. Krista. I actually have a question about this from Aussie. He wrote this on Instagram. Hey, Clark, I tried to buy a car today at a local luxury dealership, was 100% prepared to pay MSRP based on the current state of the industry and lack of inventory. What I was not prepared for was a mandatory $4,000 worth of upgrades that the dealership was imposing above and beyond MSRP. They told me this is standard. I was wondering if you had heard of anything like it. Seems like highway robbery and a bit of a hostage negotiation to me. If you need to make $4,000 more on MSRP, just raise the price. Why force mandatory upgrades I don't want and find no value in for the consumer? Is this even legal? It is legal, Aussie. And the thing is, those are known as packs. When a dealer just adds on ADM, additional dealer markup, on luxury brands, particularly European brands, there was a cycle that seems to be winding down where dealers were charging ten to 40000 above manufacturer-suggested retail. In your case, a $4,000 pack. I guarantee you, if you will do what I just said, widen your search for that luxury brand in multiple states near you, you will find dealers that are not adding any packs at all. I told the story a year and a half ago how I bought my wife a luxury SUV for her birthday. And the dealer near me was charging a $20,000 pack or markup above MSRP. And I was able to go out of market and buy that vehicle at $3,500 below MSRP by shopping a much wider geographical dispersion 
And that saved me $23,000 plus to do that. Those luxury European vehicles, they are so expensive. Christina in Minnesota says, I'm 44 and wondered if it's a good idea to plan and prepay for my funeral. I want to be cremated and have no real specifications for how my ashes are distributed. I have a partner I've been with for seven years. My dad is my only family. I don't have children and don't have relations with any blood relatives other than my dad. I have a will. My mother passed away a couple of years ago unexpectedly, and I had to make major decisions on the fly to honor her wishes, as well as I had to pay for all of it. Is it a good idea for me to plan for my demise? It's a hard subject to talk about with my boyfriend and dad. I do have a flash drive with all of my passwords and a printed copy of my will and a detailed spreadsheet of my assets, etc. I just want to make sure things are as stress-free as I can for the two important people in my life. I feel Aww. like this is a subject people don't like to talk about, yet do not realize how much easier it makes things for their loved ones. All right. First of all, I want to thank you for Christina opening up about uh, how you had to suffer the loss of your mom in your heart, and you had to make these arrangements uh, on the fly, which is so often the case. You're 44. Odds are, hopefully, you will be with us for another four decades or so. We'll see. Maybe but, more. But you never know how long our life is. So a lot of people that are aging don't want to deal with the uncomfortable topic of death, so they ignore it. And they do so at the peril of their loved ones who will grieve your loss and also have to make arrangements trying to guess how to do it. And not only are you frightfully overcharged in that situation for the services involving disposal of, you know, either through burial, cremation, or some of these new modern things where you go back to be part of earth, where you become like yeah. Uh, one of the methods, you become fertilizer for, for a, tree a tree or something. Yeah. Anyway, thing is, is to do what you're talking about doing. You state your wishes and you figure out how you want it done that lifts this burden from a grieving father or boyfriend in your case. And I ask you, if you haven't done this stuff, please do this stuff. How to do it. The best way to do, join your local state nonprofit memorial society. Uh, go to funerals.org and you'll be able to find if there's one near you. They may have negotiated rates. They have a lot of educational information about how to make these plans, what you might not have thought about. And also they may use, depending on the state or local chapter, they may use group buying power to get much, much lower prices on burials or cremations. So listen to this. People who use a discounter for cremation usually will get a discount as much as 90% off the cost of cremation like you want to do versus, Christina, versus people who just, as grieving relatives, walk into a funeral home and say, okay, here's my wallet, just burn up all the money in it. You will pay 10 times the cost, potentially, just walking in that funeral home. What you do if you make the arrangements in advance or know to shop around online and negotiate. And Shay in Georgia says, one credit booster I've recently realized that I've never heard you talk about is when you apply automatic payments to your credit card and it's normally done the day it's due, the credit card is reported to the bureaus with that balance. So if you apply that on right. the day it's due. 
If you spent close to the limit, it will appear that you are tapped out and negatively affect your score. But if you have an automatic payment applied the day before your statement comes out, then you're reported as having used none or a tiny fraction of your credit. My score has been fluctuating from 850 to 650 because of this until I figured out that number one, I need to increase my overall credit limit and number two, pay it off before the statement date. So you loved reading this one because you pay the bills for our company and I'll monitor our, our credit cards and I'll ask you to pay before the statement closing date and you just laugh at me again. Sometimes way before, like the day you make a charge, before you make a charge. Because I'm worried about um, your credit score. Credit score. Because yes, 200 point difference. Normally it might be, for most people, you might end up with like a 150 point drop if you have a really high charge volume in a month on a card and that's what's reported to the bureaus versus limit than if you pay before the closing date. So people who pay their credit card bills in full every month, if you also charge a very high volume on a card, you want to pay the balance before the closing date on the statement. So what's reported is not what you charge, but instead what that limit is with the amount still owed on that closing date. Because a lot of people think if they pay their balances in full, that they're being reported as having no balance on the card, which boosts 30% of what makes up your credit score. But what happens is whatever you charged in the month is what's reported to the credit bureau, not that you then paid that bill off in full. And yes, it can destroy your credit score, at least temporarily. Now, coming up ahead, another way people shred their wallets, how about making a gift of your pay back to your employer? Almost half of people do that every year with one kind of specialized benefit they get from work. I'll fill you in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you have health benefits through the place you work, you may also have option to something that I love called a flexible spending account for healthcare. An FSA for healthcare is quite a deal. You're allowed to put aside a certain amount of money that comes out of your paycheck each pay period that is pre-tax dollars that then used for eligible medical expenses, you pay with those pre-tax dollars, which depending on your tax bracket is saving you quite a bit of money in tax. It could be saving you you're getting like 20% extra buying power to potentially 40% extra buying power simply by having this FSA, this flexible spending account. Guess what, though? If you have an FSA for healthcare, you have to use it or lose it. And the use it or lose it rules work one of three ways. And I don't want to dwell too much on this, but unless an employer picks one of the other two methods, you have to use the money within that calendar year for eligible medical expenses. Could be your deductibles, could be uh, over-the-counter meds, 
the number of things you can use it for, but it has to be used within the calendar year or you lose the money that you don't claim and it goes back to your employer as a gift of payroll back to your employer and they get to keep the money. That's right. You took a voluntary pay cut. What percent of people in the last reporting year, according to Forbes, last year we have solid stats for a couple of years ago, tax years ago, half of people, half of people, the exact percent, 48%, left money on the table in their FSA for medical care and gave their employer an end-of-the-year gift. Now, employers at their option can use a provision to allow a certain amount of carry-forward for the following year's FSA or allow you the first three months of the year to use up money from the prior year you haven't used. But they don't have to do either of those things. But even in that case, we still have half of people forfeiting money. And not because they didn't have medical expenses, but they didn't get around to doing the paperwork to file for the money for over-the-counter stuff you bought, prescription drugs you had to pay for out of your pocket, visit charges you had to pay, you know, co-pays, deductibles you had to pay, balance bills you had to pay. So most of the time, it's not that we didn't have any of this medical. I mean, I guess if you anticipated medical expenses and your health was perfect all year, great for you, you gave your employer a gift, but you also had the gift of perfect health. That's not normally the case, is that we didn't take the time to do the paperwork, and we threw money away. So please know, FSAs are awesome benefits, but it's a benefit you only get the benefit of if you use it. So you get receipts, you have a place at home you put those receipts and then your employer or whoever handles benefits for them will have a procedure where you file normally electronically. You download usually a PDF of the receipts. You send those in and they send you money, your money, but you got the benefit of it tax-free. Don't be part of the half of people who never get around to getting those receipts together and filing for the money, and you walk away from your own hard-earned dollars. Enough about that. It's just upsetting to me to see people walk away from money. All right, now we're going to hear from Teresa in North Carolina. She says, should a parent add a minor child as an authorized user on their credit card? Some banks do not have age limits for the authorized user. So what age should you add them? Are there pros and cons? So uh, it's true that banks, credit unions... They have different rules for when you can add a minor as an authorized user. Many of them now set age 13 as the youngest age you can do so. In wealthier families, it's very common that a minor child will be given a card with authorized user status. you got to know the child. You have to know your child, Teresa, to know how your child will handle that, the maturity level they have, if they're going to spend willy-nilly and all that, because you're responsible for whatever they do. If they decide to be the big shot and buy stuff for friends, you're stuck with that. So you got to know your kid. Second, you can add a kid as an authorized user without giving them the card or letting them even know it exists. 
as a way of helping a minor child establish a credit identity. And when they reach adulthood or this new thing they call in psychology, emerging, emerging adulthood or whatever they call mm-hmm. that, that you have helped them establish credit identity, a credit score based on your good credit, and they're able to then obtain credit on their own, which is very difficult when they have no credit record at all. You help them do that with having authorized user status. Scott in Florida says, my daughter started a Wells Fargo college account with a debit card as a freshman. She graduated last spring and has a teaching job now. She got a letter in the mail saying her debit card would no longer work as of this month and should be issued a new one, which may be subject to a monthly fee. What are her options now? The thought of closing out accounts and starting a new one somewhere seems daunting to her. So first of all, it's not daunting. With her being fresh out of school, she likes doing everything online. She can now establish a free account with one of the online banks. The one that I find seems to be the easiest lift for new college graduates seems to be Ally Bank. Um, We don't hear really a lot of complaints about them. Uh, And it'll take her just a couple of minutes to set up a new banking relationship with no junk fees. And she stays with Wells Fargo. They're not kidding. They gave her fair warning saying there may be fees attached to this. Yeah, that's what they do at these big banks. So she's used to doing everything online. This would be a great starter or also uh, credit union obviously would be a great choice. And I promise she will find it ultra easy, particularly online, to establish that new banking relationship. In fact, she'll be stunned how easy it really is. Michael in Washington says, my wife and I have just had a beautiful baby daughter named Nola. She's Congratulations the, to both of you. She is the coolest thing you will ever see. Aww. We have just recently moved to Washington State for our work, and we love it here, but my wife and I are both born and raised in Idaho. We do miss home and family and feel like we may land back in that state eventually. My wife graduated college, however, I did not. We would like NOLA to have the option. I was wondering what would be the best avenue for starting financial growth tools for her. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Uh, First of all, congratulations. Hope, Michael, you're getting some sleep. And Christy, you may be aware that people in Washington State and Idaho go back and forth, back and forth a lot. I didn't know that. Between Washington State and Idaho. What I would recommend is you do, in fact, set up a 529 college savings plan for NOLA, not any form of prepaid tuition plan, but set up a 529 plan. We have our guide. We routinely update at Clark.com of the best 529 plans in America. It does not have to be in the state of Washington. It's just fine if it's not. So with the 529, there's a wrinkle now. If NOLA decides not to go to college or scholarships out, you now can take money from a 529 plan, ultimately not used for college and tax-free, move it into what NOLA will ultimately have, a Roth IRA. So it gives parents the ability with a newborn or even a young child, not knowing college part of their picture, not part of their picture, whatever, You can still put money in a 529 plan, which allows money to grow tax-free for college, be spent tax-free for eligible college expenses, 
and money left over up to limits that will adjust over time can be moved from the 529 to a Roth IRA tax-free, and you will have created tax-free growth from birth all the way into adulthood, continuing beyond, and you're giving NOLA an enormous financial leg up through life, even if college doesn't end up being part of the picture. So I want to thank you so much for listening today. If you're looking for more ways to save, listen where we got a new list of deep discounts that you can find in March on Clark.com. So don't buy something just because it's a deal, but if we have things for you in the deep discount list that you need or want in your life, we got it for you. 